Perhaps you've had a lot of success managing and leading in a traditional environment, but what do you do when all of a sudden, or perhaps gradually, your team is starting to become more virtual, or maybe even entirely virtual? On today's show, how to start influencing virtual teams. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 234. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to develop your leadership skills. And one skill set that almost every leader needs to... Should I say need? Yeah, I think I should say need. Really needs to have an appreciation for these days is how do we lead and manage effectively in the virtual environment? And it's been some time since we've hit on this topic on the show in the past, but I've received a few questions from folks in our listening community and our mastermind about how to effectively not only lead a virtual team, but also for those of you who are leading teams in person or in a physical environment of wondering, how do I leverage more effectively some of the virtual options that are out there for virtual teams and the virtual workforce. That's something that many people are wondering about these days. And there's a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of complexity that comes with that. And that's why I am thrilled to welcome Hassan Osman. He is a senior program manager at Cisco, a part-time webpreneur, and teaches an online course about virtual teams. He's the author of the best-selling book, Influencing Virtual Teams, 17 Tactics, that get things done with your remote employees. Hassan, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Dave. I'm excited to be here. All right. So I didn't tell you this before we talked, but I've, I've got a confession to, to make, man. I received your book. You had sent it to me and we talked online. And when I pulled up the book that you'd sent me, I thought you had sent me the wrong book at first because I started reading through and I was like, oh, this is more of general leadership, general management principles. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't striking me as how you handle a virtual team. And then as I started reading through it, I was like, I get it. A lot of the principles are the same as they are in how we would manage a team, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's a great point, actually, Dave. In fact, you know, a lot of times when we talk about organizations, government institutions, or nonprofits, or for-profit co- companies, we refer to them as this abstract entity. Yet, in fact, they're just made up of people. And people and and human beings actually act the same way, whether they are in the virtual environment or in a co-located physical space. And in fact, thank you for that kind introduction. And and about my book, one of the common themes I usually get and I hear back from the reviews on it is that, hey, this doesn't just apply to a virtual team environment, but it also applies for a physical co-located team in a physical space. And that's a great kind of takeaway because ultimately the of behaviors and motivating factors and influencing factors are more or less the same. Uh, now, obviously, virtual teams are a little bit different in the sense that you don't get that face-to-face interaction, you don't get that trust factor that you usually have, and then you don't get that sort of water cooler effect where you bump into your employees in the little break room or what have you. And so, yes, while some of the, or most of the actual tactics do apply, there are some that are really kind of focused on that virtual team component of it. 
Well, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking through my own experience in preparing for our conversation today of having worked both with a co-located team in my career and 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 worked you know physically very close with people for many years and also working on a virtual team, especially today, almost entirely virtually. And as I think back through that experience, yes, there are things that are different and there's different ways to use technology, but there's actually more the same than is different as far as good practices on leading and managing. And I think that that's an important reality for us to to get behind because I think one of the things that really can be a stopping point for a lot of us who want to do this, Hassan, is we, we think about having a virtual team or we think about doing things virtually. And it's it's scary. There's a lot of fear there, especially if you are running a team or even owning a business on how to do that. And yet there 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 is more that you probably already know than you think you do. Is is that an experience other people have too? Yeah, absolutely. One thing I kind of say is that the whole virtual team phrase is kind of ambiguous. And here's why. A lot of small to medium businesses these days, even if they are co-located and and physically in the same office space, they tend to already be in the virtual team space without even knowing it, right? So a lot of times people would be on the same floor and instead of walking up to them and asking for a specific task, they send them an email or they're all on a, on a call, teleconference call with the CEO of our director who's, you know, on a different floor or maybe in a different town and, Folks who are still in the same, again, floor, but in different cubicles are on their phones instead of in the same conference room. So in a way, they're kind of already virtual, but not really called that in an official term. That's so true, because even if you're in the same space, I know when I was in the same space, most of the time my interactions were in the last five to 10 years with customers who were online or emails or on webinars or conference calls, I didn't even spend a majority of my time interacting with the people who were physically present with me. So it, it, it is in some ways just thinking through our mindset on how we approach this. And, and, and that said, there are obviously some differences too, and, and we'll get into that as far as what are some things we want to be thinking about from a leadership standpoint is how we do things differently. But But I think maybe let's start from the standpoint of what are some things that are the same. And you do a really brilliant job in the book of pointing out some of these core management principles, leadership principles that are things that are this are similar, whether you're in a co-located team or you're managing a virtual team. And one of them is, and you highlight this in the book pretty extensively, is the importance of assigning responsibility. And I love that you pull out the classic story of Kitty, and I, I never know the pronunciation of her last... Do you know the pronunciation of her last name? Genevieve, yep. Kitty Genevieve. Genevieve, yeah. This is a classic, classic story. And I'm wondering if maybe you could capture it for us for those who are not familiar with it. Yeah, absolutely. So the discussion around assigning responsibilities the right way is very important in any setting. But here's why it's more important in a, in a virtual team setup than it is in a co-located one. So... Kitty Genovese was actually a young woman who was stabbed to death uh, back in 1964 in New York City. And over the course of half an hour, she was actually attacked three times on the streets as neighbors were actually watching from their windows. Uh, There were, I believe, around 38 witnesses to that horrific event, yet not a single person picked up the phone and called the police during that attack. And this is a very famous, well-known case. At the time, it caused a huge outcry all over the news. How can America be so insensitive that a person 
was attacked not over, you know, a couple of minutes. It was literally over the course of half an hour and not just once, but three times. And everyone was just watching and not doing anything about it. And so what happened is that based on this huge outcry, uh, it prompted a couple of well-known psychologists to conduct a series of studies to understand why that happened. And they came up with a term for this phenomenon called the bystander effect. And what the bystander effect is, is, is it refers to the idea that the greater the number of bystanders, specifically in an emergency, then the less likely it is that any one of them will actually help out. So it's, it's very closely related to what's called the diffusion of responsibility concept. Not sure if you've ever heard the term or the phrase, everyone's responsibility is no one's responsibility. Yep, indeed. That, yep, and that's basically where it comes from. It comes from the bystander effect. And the sad part is, that if Kitty Genovese did not have so many witnesses, then the chances of someone calling out for help would have actually increased, right? So she probably would have been alive today if there were less witnesses than, than there were at the time. And what's the sort of takeaway here for virtual teams? And here it is. If people are not willing to take action to help someone who is dying due to the bystander effect, then they probably will not take responsibility for tasks and groups. Right? So when you're on a call and you've got 15 people on that call and you're saying, hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z, people are usually not going to raise their hand and, and pick up on it, right? It's just going to be so many witnesses, just like the case with Kizzy Genovese. And this factor is compounded even further just because of that virtual team component. You don't get to see the body language. You don't get to see the eye contact. And so people kind of shy away from taking responsibility even more. And so... This is why it's really important that when, when you are in this virtual team setting, that you have to assign responsibility the right way to avoid the bystander effect. And I'll give you three quick tips about how to do that. The first is to, to use what's called direct language. And direct language just basically means straight to the point language that tells people exactly who is responsible for getting something done, right? So let me give you a, a bad example of that. So a bad example or an indirect language example would be, Sam, I think we should work on this task. Whereas a better or a direct language example would be, Sam, I need you to work on this task. Mm. So in the former example, you're being very ambiguous. You're saying words like, I think we should work on this, right? Or, you know, we're, you're kind of alluding to it. Whereas in the, in the, the latter one, you're, you're directly assigning responsibility for that person, right? And then the other tactic is to assign to individuals and not to groups. So even if you have a task that, you know, your director or your CEO of a, of a company is saying, we need to work on this, instead of saying, you know, Sam, Mary, and John are going to be working on it, you'll say, well, Sam, I need you to work on this and take the lead, and then John and Mary could help out if needed, right? So again, you, you avoid the bystander effect when you're very direct about who needs to take on the task, because that could still happen even with a small team. You know, Sam, John, and Mary might not even pick up on who needs to you know, start driving that task when that happens. Hassan, I totally did this exact, the, the wrong thing last week, had an email that was important. We had a task that needed to be done for a client and sent it to two people and said that indirect thing of this needs to happen. And both other parties assumed the other one had done it because I wasn't clear whose responsibility it was, even though it was clearly my responsibility to delegate the task. And and even in that small uh, group of people, the three of us, because it happened over email and it wasn't clear who was 
doing what? And I wasn't directive enough in my language. It got lost. And all of a sudden, we had to scramble last minute because the test didn't get done. And so it's it's so easy. The kinds of things that sometimes we would figure out a little more for face-to-face, when it's virtual, it's so easy for that to get missed, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, it happens every single day, even at very large organizations like the one I work at, right? So it's it's not, you're not alone. Let me put it this way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I was thinking of the example you gave uh, with the story of Kitty. And years ago, I was a, a trainer for the Red Cross and did training on first aid. And one of the first things they teach you as a CPR first aid instructor is when you teach people about how to handle an emergency, you're very directive about who does what. You don't just say someone call 911. You say you, this person, call 911. You, this person, do this. Uh, Because otherwise, you run into that bystander effect where people don't know what to do. And we see the exact same human behavior in teams and in organizations too, if we're not really specific, especially virtually on on who's doing what, it becomes very cloudy. and, And we're all busy and we all get overwhelmed in our email boxes, so we don't pay attention to it. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up the 911 example, because one in one situation, this is why they say if you believe you're having a heart attack in the middle of a crowded place, then don't just drop and, and you know, not say anything. You actually have to point in someone and say, you call 911. I need help. I think I'm having a heart attack because of that bystander effect as well. People would just walk by and, and the person would, would just literally die without even you know, getting any attention there. In the framework of things that we should be doing anyway in the in the co-located environment, but probably are even more important in the virtual environment, I noticed you make a, a strong case in the book for writing out tasks and documenting what's happening and, and what's going on. I'm wondering if you can say something about that. Why is that so critical in the virtual environment to have that documentation of what's happening and what are what are people's tasks? Yeah, and let me answer that with a little story. So Back in, I think, again, like the 70s or 80s, there was this old hidden camera TV show. And as part of that show, what they did was they placed a fake sign on the highway between the states of Pennsylvania and Delaware. And that sign said, Delaware closed. So literally, that entire state was closed. (laughs) Now, some drivers actually ignored the sign and just, you know, continued on. But a lot of others just stopped and believed it. Some actually turned around and went back into Pennsylvania. Oh, and, wow. you know, and even in that show, one, one concerned driver even asked, well, when do you think it'll reopen? I live there and my family's in there. That's so so funny. The, the, the funny thing about this is it kind of showcases the mysterious power of writing. And psychologists call this the deference to authority principle, where it's just like when you have someone who wears a stethoscope and a white coat is immediately you know, taken at a higher level of authority because of that signal that you're giving that they're a doctor and so that they know or have a little bit more experience. Anything that's in writing usually carries a much more authoritative message than just relying on verbal tasks. And you can see this everywhere. You know, Any posters you see in, in public restrooms or anything like that that instruct you to do things, they carry, again, a much more powerful psychological factor than people telling you not to do things or, or kind of just relying on that verbal component of it. And so whenever you write things down, you automatically increase the probability that something will get done by your team, right? Even if you're on a call and you kind of just are talking through what needs to be done on this project and so on and so forth, following up with a best practice of summarizing what you said, summarizing specifically those tasks and activities that your team needs to do and shooting them out in an email so that they have them as a reference, again, increases the probability of of things getting done. 
And most importantly, it's not just you know, the, the fact that you increase that level of influence over your team and following up on that, but it also helps in avoiding forgetting something, right? So yeah. your team actually has a reference to go back to in a week to say, oh, well, what did we discuss during that call? And you can kind of go back and, and use that as a way in which to refresh your memory on it. So it's a win-win all around and a big advocate of always writing things down, specifically tasks and activities after a meeting or after a discussion so that you can follow through on that. And gives also the additional benefit of you've got that information there and documented for when there are the inevitable transitions on teams and people changing roles and new people come in the organization that it's a lot easier than to get people up to speed and do that training. One of the things I'm, I'm always coaching people on is how do you capture the training you're doing, the conversations you're having, get those on recordings and screencasts. And that way you don't have to spend your time reworking that when someone new comes onto the team or your team grows and, uh, and, and thinking that through in advance and spend a little time to do that really makes a big difference. It has a lot of advantages and it's a win-win all around. Is there anything different that a leader should be thinking about from managing a virtual team? Because we should be doing this regardless, whether you know we're in a virtual environment or a co-located environment. But from a virtual environment, Hassan, is, is there things that when we think about writing things out or capturing things or documenting things that you found that have been helpful, either from a strategic standpoint or just the raw technology that's being used? Yeah. So one tip I usually say is if you're going to be writing something down, I would highly recommend that you write it out live during that call, right? So the, the best way to actually capture any kind of, again, action items or minutes and so on and so forth is to use screen sharing software. So whether you're using WebEx or even Skype or just Google Docs and kind of having that open for your team, having that discussion on that virtual team call and then capturing your notes or your actions on there has a dramatically higher sort of follow-through rate in terms of following up on those than just doing it after the call. Now, of course, doing it is the, is the best thing you can do, but then there's just different ways in which how you do it. And I believe that doing it online and live has this, again, another kind of powerful impact. And it also helps in just verifying that knowledge you're capturing, right? So if you're looking at that screen and, and saying, all right, Dave, you're going to help out with this action by this date, that also just kind of helps them verify and do a sort of check on what they're supposed to do on that. So I've seen that as just a very simple way to implement it as one of the best things to do. Now, one thing to add is I understand sometimes it's an audio only type call, right? Where you don't have screen share software and just on a you know, three way call with, with your team, just sounding like you're actually capturing is, has a powerful effect too, right? Just saying, hey, hold on, let me take this down. Just make sure I don't forget it. Uh, that also kind of also helps with the with the whole follow through effect. And then, of course, getting that information out afterwards after that call. And I shouldn't say I'm amazed, but I, I'm reminded often when I do send out notes or anything after any kind of interaction, how much better the response is as far as how people remember things, take responsibility for taking action on things, and people notice it always. And and notice that then when I don't do it occasionally too, it really does make a big difference as far as the follow-up that happens. Yeah, exactly. I always say that I think we all have some form of attention deficit disorder yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it's just all the information overload that we have and have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so if you just have to rely on a verbal conversation and you don't try to down personally uh, on the receiving end, it's just gone after half an hour. 
And that is something that definitely has changed in the last decade for sure is just the amount of data and information that's flowing to us on a daily basis in our inboxes and text messages and all the online portals. And and, and that actually is a good transition, Hassan, for us thinking through. There are some things that we really do need to uniquely think through as leaders when we're maybe not only managing a virtual team, but even thinking about migrating into our organization to do more things virtually or maybe bring on people in the team who are virtual. Um, when you think about that and and the work you've done with uh, clients and, and the people in your courses, what's the starting point for that when a leader's thinking about, you know, maybe I want to, maybe I want to start investigating this. Where should they start thinking? That's a fantastic question. And I know a lot of people who, who are kind of thinking through their first phase of saying, well, we're in this co-located space, but we're growing and we're thinking about our next phase and the advantages of virtual teams are tremendous, right? I mean, first of all, your talent pool increases dramatically because you can hire from anywhere in the world as opposed to just locally. And then, you know, the overall kind of work-life benefits and, and retention of your employees and so on and so forth helps a lot. So, you know, virtual teams are the future. I believe I'm a big advocate of them. Every single company is moving towards that direction. But then comes the question, how do we do it? And it is an overwhelming question because there's just so many factors you have to look at. And of course, it really depends on the current culture you have and so many variables. But here's my feedback and advice usually to any leader that comes to me and asks me about my advice of what to do. And that could really be summed up in two words. And those are go slow. And what I mean by that is take your time and don't rush into it. So don't think about a strategy where you flip the switch on a Friday evening and then on Monday, everyone's virtual, right? Easing into it is the best strategy to minimize the effects of this. And what I mean by that is if you have a team that's on site five days a week, then start out by saying, we'll, we'll take a couple of days off for the next month, right? Those two days work fully remotely and let's see how it's working. Let's get together on you know, Wednesday and, and talk about the pros and cons and what's working and what's not. And then as things get better and better and you get acclimated to that, add on a day or two again for a month before you kind of transition into that. Maybe keep the you know, whole one day a, a week on site to see how that goes before you kind of take it up a notch. That's sort of the 80-20 rule of what you need to do when you kind of have to transition. The other thing I'd, I'd caution against is make sure you, that you focus on the technology tools that you're going to be using while you are still co-located. And what I mean by that, or what I've seen is when people rush into this virtual team model, the employees usually are not up to speed on how the technology tools work, whether they use WebEx, GoToMeeting, or what have you. And what ends up happening is they blame the lack of their knowledge on using the tools efficiently on the failure of the virtual team model. Uh, right? So, and, interesting. Yeah. And so what, what happens is they were like, all right, well, this is not working. You know, I'd rather be in the same office and kind of talk about it and so on and so forth. And it's usually because they're not up to speed on what the intricacies are of the tool. And so what I usually recommend is spend the time upfront while you're in the office to use that tool and get used to the you know, different buttons and clicks. And if you get logged out of it, how do you log back in? And, and what do you need to do? And you know, sort of shut down your system and come back up. Things like that is basically what I you know, highly recommend you do upfront before you kind of transition into that. 
And then just one last thing I also recommend is the use of video. So, you know, a lot of times when people are used to seeing your face day in, day out, and then you, you suddenly are just a voice on, on a phone call for days and weeks at a time, that affects the level of intimacy and cohesion within a team. And so I highly recommend at least the first few phases is to have everyone turn on video and you kind of seeing their facial expressions and body language to a certain extent to help you out. Oh, that's interesting. And I've, I've talked to leaders before that have had that rule in the organization of we don't have meetings unless it's on video if we're all virtual because it really encourages people to be a lot more present than they might otherwise be just on a conference call. And 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 just from my own experience, all of our coaching for leaders mastermind groups meet by video. And it's such a different experience. I mean, there's nothing like being in person, of course, but the intimacy level of being able to see facial expressions, of being able to see uh, you know what people are paying attention to, what they're not, what they're smiling at, what they look like when they're considering a question is so different than just being on a conference call line. And it, and it really does provide a very, much richer communication experience. Yeah, I totally agree with that. In fact, I do mandate that for my own staff meeting calls whenever we're on, because we're in a purely virtual team environment as well. And so that helps a lot in terms of, again, building that sense of community. I understand sometimes it's, you know, people are not always dressed appropriately for video. And I always tell them, I don't care about that. I have a a bad hair day every day. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of me, but I have no hair. (laughs) You know, basically, I'm just, from my perspective, I don't care about that, whether you have your feet up or you're just really relaxed in your sweatpants and and whatever. But, you know, the the component of having some sort of, um, you know, face-to-face interaction over video is important to just help build that sense of community. Now, of course, I'm referring to internal company meetings that it's just us as employees when you're dealing with customer-facing projects where you've got a customer on there, and now obviously you have to be a little bit more presentable. And you know that's one thing leaders could take into account that when they are basically having their own internal calls, just giving their team members permission that they don't need to kind of be formal in, in their dress code on, on those video calls just makes things a little bit easier and life a little bit easier. And it's really interesting you... you pull out. I love the fact that you've centered on, you know, some of the technology, you know, it's an oversimplification to just say, you know, virtual teams all about, you know, getting the technology right. At the same time, if the technology isn't comfortable for people to use and they don't have some experience with it, I love the advice of, you know, get, get your team comfortable with doing that first in the environment you're already in, and then gradually start to get people, you know, more comfortable with doing that virtually versus throwing the switch at a later date. And I'm I'm curious, you know, since you're a really savvy guy with technology, Hassan, I'm I'm wondering if there are general things that you found that as teams are thinking about doing a transition to do more virtual work or bringing on virtual teams, I think having something like a go uh, like a, a WebEx or GoToMeeting or, or that kind of service is certainly uh, uh, probably a necessity for a lot of teams. Are there other things too that you found that for many virtual teams are also just the, the big picture things that they should look at as far as the technology? My feedback is usually focus on the more important technologies first. So the collaboration tools that you kind of just referred to. And, and by the way, I'm you know, a senior manager at Cisco Systems. I'm a big advocate of the company, but my views are my own, right? I don't get paid on commission or anything like that. But I'm a big, big fan of WebEx because really it's just a, an all-in-one kind of tool that helps you collaborate and interact and use video when you want to. And, and it's, you know, you've got the audio baked into it where it calls you back. So it's really nifty. And 
having that one tool as the go-to one whenever you want to share any document or talk through it or even record meetings, right? You've got a meeting that you want to record, very simple to do, one button, and it records the whole thing for you. My advice is usually less is more, right? So start that with a few tools that you really absolutely want to use and then start expanding as you deem necessary and as, as required. And you can very easily be overwhelmed with just a lot of the technology out there. And to be honest, you know, 90% of that you don't even need. What you need is just a, a couple of tools. Start with one that's like WebEx or go to meeting where you can at least meet internally and then just start adding based on needs as opposed to based on trends, right? Because a lot of people just say, oh, well, this new technology sounds sexy. We need it. Let's just install it and start having people use it. But then find out three months down the line that it was just, you know, all, all fluff and it doesn't really add any value. Yeah. And you've spent all that time teaching people how to use it. And then it's not, it's taken away from the time people could be doing things that'll be more valuable for the business. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, once you get to that point of making some of that transition, I, I know one of the things that was helpful for the virtual team that I've been a part of is when we were co-located, when we moved to be virtual and, and, uh, and our Carnegie team is entirely virtual now. But I remember when we made that transition, we still had regular in-person meetings that happened on a, on a fairly regular basis, at least monthly, sometimes more often than that. Have you found that to be helpful in having some sort of an expectation or system of even if we are a virtual team and even if we're all you know working from home or whatever, of having some regular time or space where people come together and get together in person? Absolutely, 100%. I'm a big, big advocate of virtual teams. I you know, blog about it. I wrote books about the topic. I teach a course on it. I give lectures. And so you know, I'm definitely biased towards virtual teams. However, there is nothing, absolutely nothing like having a face-to-face conversation with someone in the same room and having that level of collaboration. So even though I always preach about the benefits of virtual teams, I don't take away from the value of having a face-to-face interaction with someone, right? As, as human beings, that's sort of at the prime level of social interaction. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and the way in which we do need to be a, a, you know, belonging and a sense of community. And, and no matter how crazy you can get with a technology, I mean, I know even at Cisco, we've got something called telepresence, which is video conferencing on steroids, right? So it's literally like a life-sized you know, video and very high definition, literally as if they're sitting there across the table in front of you. Oh, wow. But that's still not the same. Yeah, it's a pretty cool technology if you've ever seen it. They use it in a lot of the you know, Fortune 500 companies where they want to save on executive travel, right? That, rather than spend $300,000 a year on a private jet, they just invest in this system. And then if you're in Tokyo and London and New York, you can all be sitting in the same conference room with the same furniture, actually, same lighting and all that. So you can, you're literally like sitting in the same executive conference room across the board. But, and I've used those a lot, but even with that, it's not the same as having that physical interaction there. So, you know, I know that's a long-winded answer to your question, but I really think that if you have the budget for it, to invest in some sort of on-site face-to-face communication is crucial to keep that level of cohesion and intimacy with your team up and, and, and high there. We have hit on a whole bunch, and there's a ton more I'd love to ask you about. And, and there's so much more that you've got here in the book and in the course. And you've actually got a great offer for our community, Asan, that I know is going to be really helpful 
to folks who who are thinking about this, where this is top of mind, maybe your organization is already virtual or maybe you're thinking about it. So I was wondering if you could share that with our community and for folks who do want to learn more and how they can check that out. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Dave, what I'm offering your listeners here is a free copy of my book, Influencing Virtual Teams. It was actually a number one Amazon bestseller. And what they need to do is they can go to thecouchmanager.com forward slash coaching for leaders. So it's specifically just for your own listeners. You can download the book from there. And on top of that, as a follow-up sort of email, I'm going to be sending a, um, a coupon code for my course to get it at a discount uh, as well. So it's, you know, the course is actually goes more in depth about the training and management of what's included in the book. And it kind of goes into that deep and, and wide area of it. Well, that is awesome of you offering that. I'm I'm really grateful for that on behalf of our community because you uh, you've published the book yourself, so it's a uh, it, it's a little money out of your pocket to do this. And so uh, I'd really encourage you. The book is normally for sale on Amazon. It is today, but if you go through that link, you can get it for free, like Hassan mentioned, and plus a discount code to attend his course. Uh, I by the way, I checked out your course on Udemy, uh, Hassan, and it's got tons of great reviews. There's thousands of people who have attended it. If this is something that's top of mind for you, I think this is a really great starting point for how you can use some of these strategies and tactics and really get a lot of support that'll that'll get you moving in that direction. Hassan, for folks who just like to connect with you otherwise, as far as online social media, any uh, any other way to reach you that's good or folks just want to drop you a quick line? Yeah, thanks for saying that. So my blog is thecouchmanager.com, just the same link that I, um, exact same link I just gave out. And I, there's an About Me page there and it has all my links Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, or even have a Facebook page and my email address on there. So it's just sort of a one-stop hub for all my accounts. Again, it's thecouchmanager.com. Just check it out and drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Hassan, I really appreciate your time. And uh, I hope folks will go uh, again, check out that link, thecouchmanager.com slash coaching for leaders. Hassan Osman is the author of Influencing Virtual Teams, 17 Tactics That Get Things Done With Your Remote Employees. Hassan, thanks a ton for your time. Thank you for having me. A big thanks to Hassan again for not only spending the time uh, with us on the show here today, but also for the really kind offer for all of us as part of the Coaching for Leaders community to download the book. It's for sale right now on Amazon and normally have to pay for it. So that's really kind of him to do that for us. And it's one of the highest rated books on Amazon on the topic. So again, the link for that, thecouchmanager.com slash coaching for leaders. And that, of course, will be in the show notes as well and in the weekly leadership guide coming up on Wednesday. And if this is a topic that's relevant to you right now for your organization, maybe you are managing a virtual team today, or at least some of your teams virtual, or maybe like a few people I've talked to recently are thinking that their organization is going to be making this transition in the very near future and are starting to think through the strategy of that. It's a great starting point for you. So again, the couchmanager.com slash coaching for leaders. And as always, I welcome any comments, questions, feedback you have on this topic or any topic for our upcoming Q&A show. The Q&A shows are on the first Monday of the month. Bonnie and I get together and respond to questions that have come in from the community, uh, both on topics that have aired in the last few months or the last few weeks, rather, uh, or the last few months, uh, but also just any topic, anything you're, uh, well, within the scope of leadership, probably. I, I suppose you could ask us about something random, like, I don't know. <laughs> 
what we cook for dinner, but it probably wouldn't be very interesting to most of you. So, uh, but, uh, but anything's welcome under the topic of leadership. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And the next Q&A episode is coming up next week, episode 235, always the first Monday of the month. And speaking of resources, as we often talk about and mention a lot of links on those Monday shows, I thought I'd mention once in a while just some of the things that I'm reading that aren't necessarily related to the interviews uh, on the show or the topics we've mentioned on the show. I'm working on always keeping my reading going as well outside of the books we feature here on the show. And uh, one of the books that I read very recently uh, earlier this year was called is called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And I read that book uh, because I'm doing more and more I don't know if art's the right word, but certainly doing a lot more creative things in my work as far as content creation, writing, putting together content for a number of different projects. And uh, I found more and more that my, even though I wouldn't think of myself as a creative professional per se, uh, that more and more of my time and energy is being put into uh, how I use my time as far as really staying focused, like we talked about on last week's show with Cal Newport and Deep Work, but also how to really work through some of the creative obstacles that many of us face in this economy where many of us who are part of this community are being asked to do things where there isn't a clear roadmap for. And whether you are truly a creative professional or you are someone that just needs to work in a creative way and you're and you're building something that you may there may not be a very clear roadmap for the war of art is a great road uh, is a great roadmap for that and how to work through some of the human psychological obstacles that all of us have of creating things that are new and i really found that book to be refreshing and helpful so i'll put a link into the show notes again it's called the war of art by stephen pressfield if you don't recognize the name he is the author of the very popular book the Legend of Badger Vance, which was turned into a very successful motion picture. But the book's nonfiction, and it's really an interesting look into his creative process, but how all of us can use creativity and to, and to really leverage some of the realities of our own human behavior. So I hope you'll check that out if you find it of value as well. And speaking of which, of checking things out, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please do so by searching for the show and subscribing uh, either on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever app you're listening to the show on. And I hope that you will join my weekly leadership guide. I mentioned that a few moments ago. It is delivered to your inbox every Wednesday and always includes my thoughts and recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, books, all kinds of things that I think will help you between the shows. But if that is of value to you, you can go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe in order to do so. And as a bonus, when you join the Weekly Leadership Guide, speaking of reading things, you'll get instant access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that I know will help you to get better results from others. And if you're wondering where to start your professional development on your own as far as reading, this is a great place to start. It's an 11-page reader's guide and a nine-minute video that goes through all of those books, my recommendations on them, and why I think that they will be helpful to you. And you can get access to all of that, and of course, the weekly leadership guides themselves, at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that'll take you right there. Again, the Q&A show is coming up next week. Bonnie will be back, so get in those questions. If you do have a question, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Have a great week, and I look forward to talking to you next Monday. Take care.